This is Dr. Marnie Peterson. I am the Outreach Coordinator for the Antimicrobial Stewardship Project, which was launched recently by the Center for Infectious Disease Research and Policy at the University of Minnesota. A component of this project are podcasts with global experts in the field of antimicrobial stewardship and antibiotic resistance. Today, I'm speaking to Dr. Catherine Fleming Dutra about her important work to improve antibiotic prescribing practices. Dr. Fleming Dutra is a medical epidemiologist with the Office of Antibiotic Stewardship in the Division of Healthcare Quality Promotion at the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, CDC. Dr. Fleming Dutra is a pediatrician and pediatric emergency medicine physician and has focused on infectious diseases, epidemiology, and antibiotic stewardship in the outpatient setting in her career at CDC. Recently, she co-authored a manuscript that was published in the Journal of the American Medical Association Internal Medicine that measured the frequency with which first-line agents are prescribed for otitis media, sinusitis, and pharyngitis in the U.S. ambulatory care setting. Dr. Fleming Dutra, thank you so much for joining me today. It's great to be with you. So to begin our discussion, and then we'll, we'll, we'll carry on to discuss your, specifically your manuscript that was published, I'd like you to first describe why it's important to focus on antibiotic prescribing practices within the ambulatory care setting. Great. So um, as I'm sure you're aware and many of your listeners are aware, antibiotic resistance is really one of the most pressing public health threats of our time. Um, Antibiotic um, resistance really threatens um, modern medicine. Antibiotics are fundamental to the care that we um, provide to patients, both treating and um, preventing infections and also helping make complex medical care possible. And so we really have a focus on preventing antibiotic resistance. And the primary modifiable driver of antibiotic resistance is antibiotic use. And so that's why improving antibiotic prescribing um, is so important. And actually, the majority of antibiotics used in human health care in the United States are used in the outpatient setting. Um, we estimate that probably 80 to 90 percent of antibiotics used in human health care are used in the outpatient or ambulatory care setting. And so that's why it's so important that we um, include um, the outpatient setting or ambulatory care setting um, in antibiotic stewardship um, interventions and initiatives. And antibiotic stewardship is really the, um, the effort to measure and improve antibiotic use and prescribing. As I mentioned in the introduction, you recently published with your co-authors a manuscript that explored the frequency with, with which first-line agents are prescribed for um, some very common ambulatory care settings, both in a pediatric and an adult population. Um, I'd like you to just describe a little bit about that study, um, why you chose this approach, what the approaches were um, it, within the study, and the team that you assembled. Great. So we, um, to back up a little bit, we've also, we've looked at a couple of things, and we're really trying to look at um, antibiotic prescribing practices in the outpatient or ambulatory care setting from a really holistic um, viewpoint. So we had a previous study in which we looked at unnecessary antibiotic prescribing, um, and we estimated that 30%, at least 30% of antibiotic prescriptions prescribed in physician offices, in um, emergency departments, and hospital-based clinics are unnecessary, so meaning no antibiotic was needed at all. So that obviously um, indicates a, you know, an important area for improvement in the antibiotic prescribing in the outpatient setting. But 
inappropriate antibiotic prescribing is really broader than just unnecessary prescribing. So it includes unnecessary prescribing, but it also includes um, choosing the right antibiotic when an antibiotic is needed and um, dosing that antibiotic at the right dose and giving it for the right length of time or duration. And so we really want to think about inappropriate antibiotic prescribing from that holistic um, standpoint as well and try to uh, address um, when an antibiotic is needed, making sure that the right um, antibiotic is selected. And this is really important because there are recommendations for which antibiotics should be used first or first line for a condition that are really about, you know, what's the most appropriate antibiotic for the, um, the bugs that cause that condition. Um, they'll treat the condition but also limit the side effects and resistance that may develop after, um, after treatment. And so in order to look at antibiotic selection in the outpatient setting, um, we specifically focused on three conditions, um, otitis media um, or ear infections, sinusitis or sinus infections, and pharyngitis um, or sore throats, um, which are the three most common conditions that lead to antibiotic prescriptions in the outpatient setting. So we really chose those because they're the, high, the most common, the most important, if that makes sense. Um, they contribute to really... Um, almost one-third of antibiotics prescribed in outpatient settings, those three conditions together, which is over 44 million antibiotic prescriptions per year in doctor's offices, hospital-based clinics, um, and emergency departments. And so in order to look at these three conditions, um, we um, had a, a team that we had used um, for a previous project, and they um, consisted of a collaboration between the Pew Charitable Trusts and CDC, and also a number of national experts in outpatient antibiotic prescribing and stewardship. And so, um, using so all of us together looked at um, a data set called the National Ambulatory Medical Care Survey and the National Hospital Ambulatory Medical Care Survey, or NAMSIS, and NHAMSIS for short. And these data sets are ongoing surveys that CDC administers that really collect very detailed information about what's going on in the ambulatory care setting, or um, particularly in doctor's offices, hospital-based clinics, and emergency departments. And from these um, surveys, we can see um, for visits in which the diagnosis was otitis, media, sinusitis, or pharyngitis, which antibiotic was prescribed. And for those three conditions, there are national clinical practice guidelines put out by um, national healthcare societies, so um, societies like the American Academy of Pediatrics, the Infectious Diseases Society of America, and the American Academy of Otolaryngologists, head and neck surgeons. They put out um, guidelines to help um, clinicians determine which antibiotics should be used first for these three conditions. And for these three conditions, um, the recommendations are really to use um, for otitis media, amoxicillin first line, and in certain circumstances you can use amoxicillin with clavulinic acid as an alternative first line therapy. For sinusitis, amoxicillin um, with or without the clavulinic acid. And for pharyngitis, it really should be penicillin or amoxicillin for the first line treatment. And so that's um, how we approach this. So we look to see the percent of visits in, um, in those surveys in NAMSIS and in HAMSIS um, for which one of those three diagnoses were made and the first line recommended antibiotic um, was prescribed for that antibiotic or for that um, for that diagnosis. So you studied a couple different populations, a, pedi a pediatric population that 19 years of age or you're younger, and then the adult population which was older than 19 years, and you um, uh, reported the results of that study and found some differences among these two populations. I wonder if you can describe a little bit of the the key findings from that study. Sure, absolutely. So um, 
really the key finding from the study is that overall, um, the use of first-line agents for these three conditions among all patients was really only 52%, and we would expect it to be quite a bit higher. Um, the highest um, use of first-line or first-line alternative agents was um, for pediatric otitis media or for ear infections in children, in which 67% um, of children um, received either amoxicillin, which is the first-line agent, or amoxicillin clavulinate, um, which is the first-line alternative for select um, circumstances. Um, and then it, to a low of 37% um, of adults with sinusitis and pharyngitis receiving um, the first-line recommended agents. Um, and when you look at the differences between um, children and adults for sinusitis and for pharyngitis, for children, 52% of um, children with sinusitis received a first-line agent versus 37% of adults. And for pharyngitis, 60% of children received a first-line agent versus 37% of adults. And, and that difference between the um, percentage of children receiving first-line therapies and adults receiving first-line therapies was statistically significant. So we're seeing that although there still is room to improve in children, um, children are more likely to get the recommended agent than adults are. And to put that into context, um, not every patient um, should get the first-line agent. Um, those are really recommended um, for patients who haven't been treated with antibiotics before, who don't have um, medication allergies that might prevent them from getting that first-line agent. And we, we thought about, um, or we accounted for how many patients would fall into those categories. So really about 10% of patients nationally will report that they have a history of a penicillin or amoxicillin allergy which would make it difficult for the clinician to prescribe that agent for them. Um, and really around 10% of patients for these conditions um, will, particularly for ear infections and for sinusitis, will be coming back um, after not getting better with um, a first-line agent, so what we would call a treatment failure. So if you put those together, um, that accounts for about 20%. So we really estimated that 80% of patients should be getting that first-line antibiotic um, versus the 52% of patients overall who are getting that first-line antibiotic. So we certainly have a lot of room to improve. What, what, were you, what do you uh, anticipate are some of the driving factors that the in the adult patient population that they seem to be getting these second-line agents? I think some of the common antimicrobials that were prescribed in adults were macrolides or, or fluoroquinolone. What do you think accounted for that? That's a great question. I think it's probably multifactorial. Um, you know, with macrolides in particular, um, they are the, the most common macrolide that's prescribed as often as azithromycin. It's a easy medicine to take because it's once a day for five days. Um, so I think there's a lot of uh, the attractiveness of that medicine is really the, the ease um, of taking it. But the problem with that is that macrolides really are not as good a choice for sinusitis and for, um, for otitis media. The most common bug that causes those um, infections is streptococcus pneumoniae, and we've seen an increasing amount of macrolide resistance among streptococcus pneumoniae. So even... Um, so macrolides really are an inferior choice to amoxicillin or amoxicillin with clavulinate for those conditions. So it really is important to um, – that, that's why the recommendations are there, and it's important to, to give the first-line agent um, when the patient can tolerate it um, if they don't have an allergy or they haven't already received it and, and not gotten better. So that's why it's so important. For pharyngitis, um, macrolides are um, – 
recommended as an alternative agent for patients that have penicillin allergy. But again, there's um, concern about macrolide resistance among group A streptococcus, which causes streptococcal pharyngitis. Um, and so it really should be reserved for those patients who can't take penicillin or amoxicillin because there is no known resistance um, among group A streptococcus to penicillin and amoxicillin. So it really is a better agent for that condition. Um, and then um, doctors or clinicians will often say um, that they prescribe um, broader spectrum antibiotics um, versus narrower spectrum, even when the narrow spectrum is indicated for a number of reasons. Um, but, um, you know, and they prescribe inappropriately, um, antibiotics inappropriately, even when they know they shouldn't for a number of reasons. Um, but certainly things that they um, cite are concerns about patient satisfaction. So if they're concerned that that's what the patient wants, they may be more likely to do it um, than they would otherwise. Um, but the interesting thing is that um, doctors and clinicians aren't that good at determining what patients want. So um, really communication, um, improved communication between clinicians and patients can really help that um, and help them prescribe the right antibiotic and prescribe antibiotics only when needed um, and in such prevent um, avoidable adverse events and improve um, combat antibiotic resistance. So this work is helping to highlight and illustrate what the current prescribing practices are and how um, far off the mark we may be from, from where perhaps we might have thought we were with appropriate antibiotic prescribing. And there's been some goals set, um, the National Action Plan for Combating Antibiotic Resistance spe Resistant Bacteria has set a goal of reducing inappropriate outpatient antibiotic use by 50% by 2020. Do you believe we can meet that standard? Um, and what are some of the um, action that you, that the CDC or some of the other organizations are taking to try to meet those goals? So I really hope we can meet that goal. We're certainly working very hard um, here at CDC to um, achieve the goal set in the National Action Plan to reduce inappropriate antibiotic prescribing by 50% by 2020. Um, and, and I do believe we've made some progress. Um, and so um, I'm very hopeful that we will be able to meet that goal. Um, we have taken a number of actions um, to improve antibiotic um, use and prescribing um, across the spectrum of healthcare. Um, in particular, in the ambulatory care setting or the outpatient setting, for many years we've had the Get Smart Know and Antibiotics Work campaign, um, which helps to raise awareness both among the general public and among healthcare providers about the importance of appropriate antibiotic use in the outpatient setting. And antibiotics are they're life saving medicines, um, and we want them to be used when they're needed, but we only want them to be used when they're needed. Um, and if they're needed, we want them to be used with the right um, drug, the right dose, and the right duration. And so the Get Smart Cam Know When Antibiotics Work campaign has really um, helped raise awareness about this issue and engaged many, many partners to do so. We also have um, recently released the core elements of outpatient antibiotic stewardship, um, which provide a framework um, for outpatient clinicians to improve antibiotic prescribing in their practices. And the four core elements of outpatient antibiotic stewardship are commitment, so demonstrating commitment to improving antibiotic prescribing in, um, in your practice or for a health system within the health system. Um, action for policy and practice, so implementing an action to improve antibiotic prescribing. So this can be ensuring that um, as a clinician you're adhering to um, evidence-based guidelines for health systems that can be putting into place um, policies and practices that can help, such as um, running communications training for your staff or 
implementing clinical decision support, things like that. Um, the next one is tracking and reporting. So really looking to see um, the antibiotic prescribing either within your own practice or within your, um, your health system for outpatient clinicians and reporting that information back to clinicians so they know how they're doing and they know how they're doing in relationship to their peers. And then finally, education and expertise. So ensuring that both clinicians and patients are receiving education about appropriate antibiotic use, helping them improve their antibiotic use, um, giving them education and tools they need to improve their antibiotic use, and ensuring that they have access to um, expertise um, that is needed to help them improve their antibiotic use. And that expertise might be in the form of a pharmacist or an infectious disease trained pharmacist or an infectious disease physician, or it might be other medical or surgical consultants that can help them um, manage patients to improve their antibiotic use as well. And so we're really hopeful that um, the core elements of outpatient antibiotic stewardship will help um, clinicians and health systems in the outpatient um, setting improve their antibiotic use and help move us towards that goal of reducing inappropriate antibiotic use by 50% by 2020. And that's both reducing unnecessary use and improving antibiotic selection, dosing and duration when antibiotics are indicated. In some of these practices, the clinicians, you know, have a busy practice and they could have some barriers to being able to achieve some of these goals. And I was curious is if you feel that there are some barriers to trying to achieve the goals with appropriate antibiotic action, um, uh, prescribing. Uh, and you mentioned education is important not only to the healthcare providers, but also to the public to relieve some of the expectations. Um, and my second question is not only some of those educational strategies and, and barriers that are currently in place, but do you feel that some of the current prescribing practices, have they changed since the um, the information that you gathered for your current study that was published, that data was from 2010 to 2011, and ha do you feel that some of those pre prescribing practices are already starting to change? Great question. So in answer to your first question, you know, really what are the barriers um, to achieving that goal? Again, we we know that um, there are many reasons that clinicians prescribe antibiotics inappropriately in the outpatient setting. Um, it's, um, it's probably rarely a deficit in clinical knowledge. So most clinicians know what they're supposed to do for these common conditions like ear infections and sinus infections and pharyngitis. Um, but they don't do what they're supposed to do for other reasons, and, and it's multifactorial, but certainly um, concerns about patient satisfaction are one of the reasons um, that they prescribe antibiotics inappropriately. And so um, when we talk about education, it's it's partly about making sure they know what they're supposed to do, what the guidelines say, but a lot of it, it's about helping them um, give them tools to help them overcome those barriers. So things like communications training that can help um, clinicians effectively communicate with patients, that can help um, them make sure the patients are satisfied um, when they don't get an antibiotic because it's not indicated, or um, get the first-line antibiotic, even though they might be expecting something else. And so, for instance, um, clinicians' um, communications training often talk about um, helping clinicians um, make sure that they um, have effectively communicated with patients why antibiotics are not needed or which antibiotic is needed um, in combination with making telling patients how they can feel better, so giving them recommendations for managing their symptoms, and also telling them when to worry, when to come back for medical care if they're not getting better. Um, so things like that can be really effective in helping improving antibiotic prescribing. They've been shown to be evidence-based. So when we talk about education for clinicians, we're really talking about it from many standpoints and really helping them give the tools to overcome those barriers. 
Um, the second question is, have the current practice patterns um, changed since 2010 and 2011, which is when the data that we used to do the study was collected? Um, and probably the antibiotic selection patterns have not changed substantially. Um, we have made a little bit of progress in the last um, few years. We have a, another data set we look at that doesn't give us diagnoses, but it gives us overall antibiotic prescriptions. And we have seen some small declines in the overall rate of antibiotic prescriptions um, from 2011 to 2014. Um, but, um, but we still have a lot of work to do. And so um, we, have, we have quite a bit of work to do left. Um, so for example, in 2011, there were roughly 273 million antibiotic prescriptions dispensed um, in the U.S. Um, as a whole to patients of all ages. And by 2014, we had 266 million. Um, so again, we've seen some improvement, but um, we have a long way to go. Well, Dr. Fleming Dutra, I want to thank you so much for your time to discuss all your efforts at the CDC in leading these approaches to optimizing antibiotic prescribing practices in the ambulatory care setting, which is very important and also for this in-depth discussion related to the manuscript that you recently published. Great. Thank you so much for having me. We really appreciate it. Yeah, and I just want to remind our listeners that a review of the manuscript as well as this podcast will be available at our homepage, which is at www.cidrap.umn.edu forward slash ASP. Thank you so much, Dr. Fleming Dutra. Thank you.